Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Compassionate Friends and the Open to Hope Foundation. Well, we've got an important show today, Heidi, because uh, a lot of people are interested in parent loss, and I know you're doing something uh, for Columbia on uh, trauma during childhood, right? I was just talking to our guest about this, because with this show today is exactly what I'm teaching. And uh, so we are looking at how does an early loss impact you throughout your entire lifespan and your life course. And it does have an impact that never ends mm -hmm. in some ways. So uh, we will be talking today with Dr. Gary Jaworski, and he is the president of the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation. And as you know, Mom, I, he has asked me to be on their advisory board, and it's a fabulous foundation located in New York City, but they do work all over the country. Uh, we have had Gary on our cable television show, so you can log on to Open to Hope and put his name in and see the show, or you can go to the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation and watch the show as well. Um, when he was only five, Mom, his father died, and Gary was, before he was the president of the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation, he was a professor for 20 years. And Gary must have been good at what he did because he was in the Who's Who Among America's Teachers. So we are going to be talking to him today about finding hope after loss and the death of a parent. So welcome to the show, Gary. Talk about your dad a little bit. I know you said you were five and he suddenly died of a heart attack. You know, I was five, so I didn't really know much. I was just a very young child. Uh, I, but evidently he had, uh, had a heart attack before uh, his final one uh, and was recuperating at home and then had a massive heart attack in November of 1959, that was, I was five years old. So I was playing, I mean, it's November, so I'm not quite sure how it was, it was so warm to play outside, but I was playing outside and I saw an ambulance light, or maybe it was a police officer light on a car outside of our front house. And I said to my friend who I was playing with, oh, I hope nothing's wrong with my mother. Ah. And I ran, in order to get to the house, I had to run around a long fence. And I got home, and when I walked in the back door, we used the back door, uh, uh, there were all these neighbors lined up in the back door, and I sort of stopped, and they pushed me into the house and told me that my father had died. Oh, my goodness. It was, and I have to say that I don't recall pretty much anything of the next two years. <laughs> I really, I don't know, flooded out. I just was, mm -hmm. I was in trauma. So five to seven, you were just, yeah. I, I honestly don't remember first grade or second grade at all. <laughs> wow. That's pretty powerful. Just the, the impact of a parent loss and what it has on a, on a young child. Oh, I, I could not, uh, I couldn't, I don't think I could deal with it. Uh, and you know, we could talk about what that was. There was, uh, I didn't deal with it really until I became the age that he was when he died. There was perhaps some, some uh, in my mind when, when I turned 36, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I went through a series of what panic attacks that finally led to really a, just an emergency room visit. And then I had to, of course, build myself up from there. But for, I always say that for 30 years of my life, 31 years of my life, I had post-traumatic stress disorder because 
it was really not good emotionally. I grew up in a household where the response to crisis was stoicism. Mm -hmm. You really, you didn't express your emotions, you didn't talk about it, and you just sort of, what, grin and bear it. Right, right. That was not, I think, a good way of handling it. And, and it was the way things were handled. Back then, I mean, it really uh, talking as much as gr with grief and loss as we are now is uh, kind of a new thing. However, part of the reason Heidi and I started the foundation and reason we started doing TV and we're you know happy that we can do these online things is because it's still an area that people don't want to talk about. So we're still we're still seeing that kind of thing. You know, Heidi said earlier that uh, grief and loss at an early age does impact your whole life, indeed. But I will have to say that in some ways, it impacts your life positively. Can you find that? I can tell you. So, you know, I went on for uh, much of my adult life as a, as a young man and then also as an adult on a search for father figures. Mm, wow. Uh, the, my mother did remarry. Heidi asked me that question and, and my mother did remarry. I had a stepfather. He's since uh, died, but he wasn't much of a father figure to me. You know, I had to find father figures. And uh, as Heidi mentioned, I became a college professor. After, I, after some years of doing that, I really, I looked back at my work, books, the articles, and much of it really was an attempt through intellectual means mm -hmm. to find father figures to help guide me, which... Mm -hmm. I just found to be outstanding. I had no idea what I was doing throughout my life, working with this, uh, talking about this male social uh, philosopher or that male. Uh, That's what I was going to say. You actually got into philosophy and writing about philosophers. And, I did. So, and in all of those cases, Gloria, it was really searching for a father as I real as I came to reflect. So uh, my academic career was fueled, if you will by the very crisis that I faced as a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. Wow, and, and finding that meaning. It was meaningful. I mean, I was, uh, I, all of these people too, the people that I wrote about, those who were alive at the time, were very open to me. I, in in the, the book that I wrote, which was based on my dissertation, I, uh, I thanked those people. Some of my teachers, who were also father figures, oh, get this. I'm uh, sorry to, to interrupt a little diversion. Um, I was a, my first year in graduate school, I was a teacher's assistant, some fancy scholar, and he died one year into <laughs> my college, my graduate school career. It's like, oh, not another father figure. Here's this lovely yeah. gentleman who I just saw as a possible, you know, role model, and he dies too. How did you respond to his death? I mean, you say that you responded almost amnesia with your dad. Then how did you respond to his death? And now, knowing what you know now, how do you respond to death? Is it different? Well, again, I think what I did a great deal was sublimate the, the feelings and turn it into something else uh, rather than feel the feelings until... So I turned it into poetry. I became, a, in my younger years, I wrote some poetry, some of it that were clearly related to that loss, uh, uh, others not, but I was trying to deal with the emotions that I wasn't able to express uh, personally or with others. 
uh, indeed, I had a spouse at the time. I'm, I'm divorced and remarried uh, now, but the spouse, when I had a series of uh, panic attacks, really night terrors and panic attacks, when I turned 36, uh, I didn't tell my wife, then wife, that I was going through that. For some reason, that stoicism that you keep it to yourself, however destructive it really is or was, I still kept up with it, even though I was going through that relationship. So one way I dealt with it was not very well at all. I kept it bottled in. It came out creatively through poetry and then in my intellectual life or my scholarly life, rather, uh, through, through my research program. Uh, but for the most part, the emotions were coming out in, through panic attacks, you know, mm -hmm. they were bottled up. And that, I don't think, was good at all. But I ended up in an emergency room, uh, and uh, the doctor said, you didn't have a heart attack, because I was afraid I was having a heart mm -hmm. attack, which right, is like what you my father died of. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, it was just panic attacks. Right, so right, and which feel very much like heart attacks, as we know. Yeah. Yeah. So was that a turning point for you then? It was a huge turn. There were two turning points. One was that, really, just the crisis period. I called it my mental breakdown. It's really a series of panic attacks, which uh, they offered two things. One, talk therapy. Uh, finally, the first time in my life, in my mid to late 30s, I found a therapist who I could talk to. And the other was some uh, psychotropic drugs to help me. Is that the right word for it? They were yeah. just Xanax to get me through the right. anti-anxiety okay. uh, medication. Right. Uh, and um, so there, what, what happened was the therapy, uh, I think I stayed with him for a full year, and I called the therapy really cry therapy. I would go into his office, and all of those emotions would come out. Um, by the way, I'm trying to right now even distance myself from it, just mm -hmm. to sort of talk about it in a, you know, a non-feeling way. Uh, mm -hmm. Because if I did so now, I would just do it again. Here I am sitting with two wonderful therapists. So. <laughs> well, you don't mind if you cry. <laughs> ten, minutes, 10 minutes crying. Um, so it was really a lot of cry therapy. Uh, and um, it was wonderful. It was the first time in my life that I was able actually to express those emotions. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, that was one thing. And that for me was it, it turned around. The night terrors left. Uh, the fear of death left, uh, and my, I was able to, I think, move through life in, uh, with a great deal more equanimity than I did before. Um, and then the other was my son was born. He's now, yes, a couple of days ago, he turned 21. Yeah. Uh, and my son, I had something to live for beyond uh, just my own life. And boy, that was also a turning point for me. And you, and you had the opportunity to be a father. That's right. I had the opportunity to be a father and to offer to him what wasn't offered. Right. So you, so you found meaning again. Heidi, I was wondering, what you're listening to all of this, and I know you've been working on this topic. What comes up for you? Well, what comes up for me is that, that Gary, made, he, would probably, he wouldn't be on the career trajectory he was on had his father not died. Everything that's happened to him professionally and a lot of personal stuff is because of his father. But like you said, mom, not all in negative ways. Right. And there's a lot of research right now on post-traumatic growth, you know, growth after, after trauma. And I am hearing throughout this, your lifetime, 
you know, all the growth that's happened and also what happens when we repress our, our grief, how it came out. And for a year, all you did was, was waterworks and grieve for the loss because you, you, you shelved it. I think it's never too late to revisit the grief, especially if you've been given messages as a child not to go there. You know, you had to remain strong. You remain strong not only for yourself, but I, I imagine for your bereaved mother. Yes, uh, when we worked in nine, with 9-11 kids, after they lost a firefighter father in the World Trade Center, I worked with those kids for 10 years. And what we saw is that oftentimes kids became parentified and would remain strong for the surviving widow and be there for her. And I don't know if that's some of what was going on for you, but I'm guessing it probably was. Um, I guess what I'm wondering, though, Gary, is now that you're working professionally, no coincidences, at the, you're, you've come full circle. You're at the Children's Brain, uh, Brain Tumor Foundation, and you are expanding bereavement services for children, which I don't also think is a coincidence. Um, I'm wondering, from a personal standpoint and a professional, because you have your foot in both worlds, what have you found helps kids, and what do you wish you had had that you didn't? For those out there that are wondering how to help their surviving surviving mm -hmm. children. Well, you know, I, as, as we talk to families at the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation, what kids consistently tell us is that they need a peer uh, and also to, to be able to share with, but also a companion, maybe an older figure uh, with whom they could just interact in a very easy way. You can't do that with your parents. Mm -hmm. You can't do that maybe with your friends, but you can do it with this some, uh, either a, a kindly therapist or even just a, an older teacher um, two, I have to say, my um, um, two of my science teachers, one in seventh grade and the other in eighth grade, both males, helped direct me toward the intellectual path that I, that I now have. And those men provided that kind of kindly attention that our kids at the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation are looking for as well. And you know, we just changed our, law, our tagline, our phrase for, that helps define who we are as an organization. Children's Brain Tumor Foundation to community and companionship on your journey. Yeah. This is what our yeah, love that. families want, that companionship and a sense of community. I didn't have that. Had it, your building, but through all of your good works, mm -hmm. uh, a community of people who you can talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you are, you know, some of the best as I've now experienced over the past, past couple of months, companions on my journey. So thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Gary, and I love what you're saying, and I know that my mom does too, because my mother and I really believe in empowering people that are grieving, mm -hmm. and I think if we are the almighty expert on somebody else's life, it is very disempowering, and you know, after you've had a loss, you feel very helpless and very disempowered, and so how to, how to have power again in your life, and I think through service and, and making our, the client the expert yes. on their own life. And like you said, companioning together and taking the journey from the darkness into the light with them. I think that's where the healing takes place, which is what you know, Yeah, I, I really like what you're saying about the kind of the soft companionship. I mean, it can be a relative. I mean, it could be for a five-year-old, it could be a nephew who's 21 or something. I think that, um, I, I will have to say, Gary, that when my son was killed, I got all my three girls into therapy. And they went like once and it just wasn't what they needed. They needed someone to walk with them, not somebody to interpret their right. journey. 
So I think that um, if people could look for like a soft companion, it may be a pastor at the church. It may be, you know, as I say, a relative. I mean, people will come and say, how can I help? And, and Heidi said it before, her friends, have helped, her friends helped her, but she was older. Um, so, you know, so you have those friendships. But um, for parents who are watching this, I think finding a soft companion for your child, somebody to take them shopping for your Mother's Day present or, or dad's present or, uh, you know, Christmas present or just those small things or take somebody bowling or, you know, whatever. I love that idea of soft companion. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And I think that's really important because I think, Gary, of you at five, all the things that someone needed to step in and help you do, like learn how to tie a tie, things that dads do. Or like my mom said, help pick out your Mother's Day gift for your mother, you know, things that your dad would have done. So having some, and, and like my mom said, it can be anybody. It can be a neighbor. It can be anybody. <laughs> those, are, those are great uh, examples because I cannot throw a football. <laughs> because no one ever told me how to, how to do that. So I had to put all of my energy into, I don't know, scholarly pursuits. Because sports, <laughs> I was the worst. I didn't have a dad to do that. Well, it's interesting it's that you're saying that. this. Yes, because at, with the 9-11 study, we, we interviewed all the kids. And we asked them, what was the number one thing that they missed that their dad did? And hands down, the boys said we missed we miss that we, we don't wrestle with anybody anymore. We mm. miss the wrestling. So like you said, there's, there's roles that your dads play with you that other people don't. Yeah. So, and I like that idea of bringing someone else in to fill those roles. Shoot I, I some hoops. I have a five-year-old niece who I wrestle with. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Gary, um, tell us how that we can get into I w just wanted to say something about the fabulous uh, Brain Foundation and the fact that uh, you taught me on our TV show that not all kids die of brain tumors, and you're actually, there are people who are living and dealing with, with the brain tumor, and all, but you do, there are some children that do die, so you're uh, increasing your bereavement services. So how do people find you? Well, thank, thank you for, for asking. So our website, which is a new website and really very helpful, uh, is cbtf.org. cbtf.org. It is very easy to get to, and we are a very friendly place. Uh, I think you'll find not so professional or soft companions, as you've said. Heidi yeah. yeah. and I always want to remind everybody that's watching, please tell people about the Open to Hope show and the Open to Hope. You can find us on the internet and we have lots of resources that we want to share with you. Radio shows, television shows, and uh, podcasts. So please tell everyone about the site or at least try to tell one person today. That would be fabulous. So Heidi and I both do want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. <laughs>